Pull up a chair and buckle up. It's the Original Strength Podcast. Hey guys, we are learning about Tai Chi today with Master Wasintha Young. Master Young is an author, writer, and speaker, and she's also an amazing teacher. If you've ever been curious about Tai Chi, you're going to love this episode. Master Young, thank you for being on the, the show this week. I appreciate the invitation. And yes, ma'am. Um, so I am. I know very little about Tai Chi other than what I've seen on the movies, which means I know absolutely nothing uh, about Tai Chi. Uh, but I somehow YouTube has read my mind and has started showing me uh, world championship uh, videos of Tai Chi competitions. And it is absolutely beautiful. And it's just stunning how, how fluid the movements are. Um, can you tell me what is Tai Chi? Or can you explain it to me? Well, you know, in our communication, you mentioned something to, about it being poetry. And as poetry goes, there's a lot of interpretations on a single piece. Tai Chi is very similar to that. So you have those people who are locked into the muscle application of Tai Chi and some who are locked into the meditative aspect of it, some who may be thinking about it for health and relaxation. And so each person with their own perspective will, Tai Chi will manifest in appearance according to the person who is doing it. The original goal of Tai Chi was for it to be a martial art. And as a martial art, the idea is how one can go from nothing to something to nothing again in an instant, sort of almost at mind speed. And that was what got its notoriety back in uh, the, hmm, I want to say 1600s or so. And the Chen family was the first to actually stylize it. On a metaphorical perspective, they say Tai Chi started with a man named Chang Sang Feng, who had a dream about a snake and a crane having a fight. And within his dream, he noticed that there was wonderful evasive movements of the snake to the forward striking of the crane. So his idea was to create a martial art that was based on soft overcoming hard. Now, around that time, also Taoism was flourishing in China. And so Taoism is really is nature-based. So the idea with Taoism is that soft overcomes hard. And one of my teachers once said, my teeth will fall out before my gums will. So he was, that was his example of soft overcoming hard. Um, awesome. Now, <laughs> Yes. So that idea of fluidity and softness in motion started to develop back in the 1200s. By the time we got to the 1400s um, into the 1600s, it started to develop into an art form. But in this culture that it comes from, you always give um, a creed to the original thought. So people will say that Tai Chi started with Chang Sang Feng, but the Chen family historically was the first family to have it noted as a martial art. And at that time, there were a lot of um, different types of martial arts and everyone wanted to have their own style of surprise 
so to speak. That's why they spend time watching somebody work out or in a fight to kind of assess what style they were doing. So since Tai Chi was very new and it came from this nothing to something to nothing again, it, it was very hard for hard stylists to overcome it as a martial art. So the idea of fluidity in motion is based in the history, uh, the philosophical history, okay? And at the same time, it was a martial art. So in the Chen style, you might see a lot of issuing of force within the form. So they have slow movement and then some very quick movements and then slow, go back to slow movement. They have very deep stance. The Yang family then, who was servitude to the Chen family, actually attained knowledge about Tai Chi um, around the um, probably early 1800s. And they started to stylize it in terms of its ability for expansive and contracting motion. And so then you started to have a little bit more flow involved with it and a continuity of flow within that. The Wu family came after that and they have very tight circles. And then there's the Sung family who combined um, different styles into a motion that uh, was stylized as Tai Chi. So you have these different styles and it's different perspectives, but they were also based on the fact that your martial art was a commodity during those times. So you had to have something very special to draw people to you. So everybody put effort into stylizing it in their own way in order to gain students, okay? And notoriety and to improve what it was that they were doing. So my lineage comes from the Yang family. And um, there in, there's, I should say one other thing, there is also something called Wushu Tai Chi. So as Tai Chi became more of an internal style of martial art, which meant that the development of oneself is more important than overcoming your opponent. You know, the, the, the samurai were very much similar in that way. You cultivated your inner being to make yourself a better warrior. So Tai Chi is more about the internal aspect of oneself. And then comes this external expression. So in Wushu Tai Chi, there's a lot more external expression. So you'll get those people who like to bring that leg all the way up into the air, you know, and that's Wushu Tai Chi. Um, that is showing your prowess. But um, Tai Chi is also in these days, a moving meditation. And if you think about meditation, meditation does not embrace the ego as primary. So the ego has different layers within us. And so if the muscle has ego, then that leg going all the way up here is a show of look at me and what I can do. Uh, I was taught that you want your form to be as quiet as possible. And that came from uh, Professor Chen Ching. And Professor Chen Ching was a student of Yang Chang Fu. One would debate how long was he a student of Yang Chang Fu. I don't know for sure. There are some written documents about that, but Professor Chen Min Cheng 
um, was a master of what is called the five excellences. And that is where I myself try to stay more rounded in my development as a human being um, rather than just focus on one thing. So I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I do my Tai Chi. Um, so uh, the Professor Chen Ching studied from Yang Cheng Fu. My direct teacher is Grandmaster William C.C. C. Chen. And William C.C. C. Chen is in New York. And William C.C. C. Chen, he brought back the application of movement. His focus is, was on, uh, is on body mechanics. And so meditation isn't necessarily primary to him. Whereas professor, he was um, an artist, he was a doctor, he was a calligrapher, he was a poet, and he also did Tai Chi. So he really um, started to focus on this internal aspect of one cultivating oneself. And he came to this country in the late 60s, mid to late 60s. Um, my teacher came around the same period of time. So my teacher wanted to embrace the energy of New Yorkers. We want to know how to defend ourselves. So he emphasized the application of movement. Although of all the teachers that I've ever seen, his form was the most flowing at, at the same time that he did application. And it's within this flow that a person explores the dynamics of how to empty, how to fill. There's a dynamics that's there and the body coordinations so that one comes from a center uh, so that everything is integrated together. And that force and power comes from the ground up through the body as opposed to just the individual muscles. So you have these different expressions of what Tai Chi is. This is a little bit about the history and my lineage. Um, with Grandmaster Chen, I learned uh, the form. And so my flow is similar to what his flow was back in those days. His form has changed a bit because he continues to develop his idea of what Tai Chi is. But I also had the opportunity to study with other people who studied from Professor Chen Ching. So they brought back in for me the information about meditation, the information about quietness. Um, and so then I started to integrate that into my movement. I wanted to understand Tai Chi philosophically. I wanted to understand it physically. And then I wanted to understand it mentally. So my master's degree is in transpersonal studies. And transpersonal has to do with how one's spirituality will affect how one thinks and sees and views the uh, the perspective one looks at the world from. So I integrated that spirituality into it as well as uh, the physical and the mental meaning meditative aspect and then the spiritual aspect of it. So that was awesome. Um, and, and I had a question to ask you what was transpersonal study. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So you started uh, practicing though in 1968, right? 
That's that's correct. Yes. Uh huh. What what it was got early you? On. What got you into like what drew you to Tai Chi? How did you get started with that? Well, I I like to say I forest gumped it. I had no particular <laughs> reason. Okay. So, um, but uh, you know. The question also has uh, another piece to it is Tai Chi found me, I found Tai Chi, okay? Um, I had um, people who were mentors to me. Um, my mother was a single mother and she spent a lot of time trying to uh, educate herself at, so that she could bring up her income to support her three daughters. So during that process, sometimes um, her presence wasn't always there. So there was a couple and one of them was an engineer and the other one was a, um, a person who developed programs for like uh, the Harlem Hospital and uh, the uh, Comprehensive Health Planning Agency in New York City. And so I connected with this couple when I got one of my first real official jobs. And they were in the process, uh, because they were in their 30s, they were in the process of reviewing their lifestyle and changing their diet and their exercises and so on and so forth. So for the most part, I did what they did. And they started taking Tai Chi. And um, I studied some Shiatsu with Suzuko Yamamoto and some Shiatsu with Ohashi. And so whatever they did, I did it too. And uh, so that's kind of how I got started in the whole um, experience of learning Tai Chi and studying it. So you also teach, uh, you along with Tai Chi, you teach Kwai Gong and meditation. Qigong, uh, Qigong? Yes. yes. Sorry. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Um, qi, you know, I, I, I'm saying Qigong, my Chinese dialect is not, you know, I'm sure that it's said even differently than that. So it's no big deal. Um, but um, yes, I, I teach Qigong. And yes, I teach meditation. But I should say that Qigong is, is an umbrella term. So actually meditation fits underneath that Qigong. So meditation is a part of Qigong. Qigong means energy work. So anything you do for the most part that develops you energetically could be put underneath this umbrella of Qigong. Uh, for me, the main four characteristics of Qigong is uh, they say Buddhist, Taoist, medical, and martial. So if it's Buddhist, it's about bringing the mind energy to its highest potential. If it's Taoist, it's the use of imagery and breath and movement. If it's um, medical, then you have acupuncture, acupressure, the acupoint system, the energy flow in the body or um, the energy flow of earth energy, nature energy or universe energy and how one actually, actually can cultivate that for one's longevity. And if it's martial, it's about bringing the body, the uh, muscle mass, energy energetically to its highest potential. So meditation fits underneath there, Tai Chi does, um, acupuncture, acupressure does, herbology does, feng shui does, and so does um, Tai Chi. But each thing can be individualized. So you can always take down that umbrella and just look at these different pieces. My perspective is to look at them all as much as I can you know, to say, ah, I understand 
this umbrella of protection. So, so you've been training and practicing Tai Chi for over 50 years. How have you, how, yes, how have you been able to keep the joy in the movement or to find joy in the movement after all that time? Uh, that's a very, uh, I love that question. Um, let me also just say one thing is that I also studied Buddhist meditation with Trungpa Rinpoche and Taoist meditation with Jafu Feng. So um, understanding the constructs of everything energetically that has form Tai Chi, I think I have done a pretty good um, overall, got a pretty good overall sense of it. But um, the freshness comes from a lesson that one of my teachers uh, taught me that said, uh, uh, always do it as if it's square one. The moment you think you've got it, then you don't. So, that's how I, I approach it. I, I'm always listening internally to what my body, my mind, my spirit might be communicating in the moment. It's the same as, you know, it is not easy for us to live life from beginning to end and not get bored with life. But life offers us all of these different distractions and all of these different wonderful, joyous pieces that keep us engaged and alive inside of life. If you stay open to that, Tai Chi is the same. There's a lot of depth to Tai Chi. And so in relationship to myself, if I leave myself open to always seeing and exploring and feeling and changing, morphing and growing with it, then there's no real boredom that develops there. It's only when you start to think that you've got it okay, is there anything else? Is it what's new? That you start to lose that sense of newness that is within every moment of doing Tai Chi. So you've been able to approach it like a child and be curious enough to, that it's brand new almost every day. Yes. Awesome. I have, I really, um, uh, that aspect, if I go back historically, again, I'm bringing in the culture and how it developed. If I go back, the I Ching was one of the first books, Chinese books that was sort of written on the understanding of dynamics of life, the cause and effect. And I Ching means book of changes. And so it looks at the dynamics of change. That is foundational to Tai Chi. And so I have achieved knowing that that is fundamentally where you stand in doing Tai Chi is to allow yourself to change. So if you're allowing change, there's no hardness in that. There's no locking in. There's always this exploration. So it is like a child, but I'm an adult. And yes, I still have that freshness inside of myself and always open to the magic of life. That's awesome. So I, I stalked your website a bit and there was this part where you, you wrote about you were really drawn to the movement meditation aspect of, of Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. um, can, you, can you expand on that, uh, on movement meditation or, or what that is to you and how it works? Um, sure. Um, I should say that um, I like that place because um, 
in the clarity of meditation, there is also the word no, you know, and or letting go. And so, you know, martial application does come along with that. One of, of the concepts that Trungpa Rinpoche um, always approached meditation from is like being a warrior, ready to act, being present and ready to act. So the idea of uh, meditation, um, I want to say, does not exclude martial application. Uh, the, for me, meditation, the body and the mind learn to meditate together. And so does the spirit. So you have my body, mind, and spirit. In meditation, our perspective is to um, let go of the cognitive thinking aspect of the brain and open up to some other aspects of our experience um, uh, of, of how we think or don't think, so to speak. So you use imagery, you use senses, you feel yourself breathing, you um, uh, use imagery. And, and so that's one aspect of the thinking of the mind and trying to shift it to the other side of the brain a bit. I call it the screensaver, okay? So, you know, if you're always thinking, you're going to burn a hole in your screen. So you have to be able to take those breaths uh, and let go of the thinking mind because thinking is a narrow band. It's you thought this and it goes and projects over this way. It's a narrow band. So the idea is to create more space. So the Tai Chi in terms of the muscle mass, that has to also meditate at the same time that the mind is meditating. And so in that process, the tension in the body is the same as the thinking of the brain. So the idea is to let go of the tension that is not necessary while you are moving. Certain movements require a certain amount of tension. And then you have to let go of that as soon as you move through that movement and you're always scanning your body, breathing and listening and feeling for where the tension may start to develop and being able to release that as you move along. On the spiritual level, our spirit sometimes can control us and make us very like, oh, I gotta do this, you know, kind of like the excitement of this, or, you know, the application of this. And so you also want to contain the spirit. And that is one of the basic principles of Tai Chi. You know, the, uh, the spirit is alive, alert, yet contained within. So if you know your energy is going in a direction, you don't want to send the energy in that direction, you know, because you'll pull yourself out of your root. So the idea is that the spirit meditates, the body meditates, the mind meditates all together. And you listen to this interaction of information. Is my mind starting to guide more? Is my body starting to take on everything? Is my spirit driving me? You know, so you want to kind of like keep looking for those tensions in all three of those aspects of being and release those tensions and then feel yourself more. Uh, one of my other teachers um, said to me that Tai Chi is a state of mind. And so you, you sh the state of mind shifts. And if one develops long enough and practices deeply enough, 
you get to this, sometimes you get to this glimpse of no time and just being. And so you can't hold on to that, but sometimes you get this glimpse of it. And that takes away the stressor of time because time is linear. And the fountain of youth to me in Tai Chi is to break through that and allow yourself to just be mentally, physically, and spiritually. Wow, that was awesome. So since you said the fountain of youth did that, um, is that... <laughs> is that one of the things that draws like so like i said all i know about tai chi is what i see on the movies and tv uh up until now um is that one of the things that makes it so uh good for more mature people or uh up in years ah where yes. they're drawn because where they're drawn to because practice it's, yeah sorry um because they are uh, because it is about reducing stress it doesn't matter how old you are the reduction of stress on all three of those levels helps with your longevity but what makes tai chi good for older people yes the reduction of stress but also the increase in balance and um, one of the things that process that happens as we mature is that our energy starts to pull up out of our root, uh, you know, your feet and the connection to ground is what I call root. It starts to pull up from there. And so people start to try to balance in their hips. And then they start to try and balance in the top part of their body. And that's what decreases balance. So if you have all your books on a top shelf of a bookshelf and a baby comes along and starts to try to pull themselves up on the bookshelf, you automatically know that that's a danger point. So how do you get the balance to go back down to the feet, back down to experiencing the ankles and the relationship of balance with the ankles. What are the mechanics for balance? And Tai Chi really does help to reunite the person if they've gone away or to maintain it as long as you can, this relationship with balance being on the earth. So that's does what it makes also, it really uh, good. That, that was a great explanation, especially uh, the, the bookshelf analogy, that was powerful. What about breathing? Does it also help people regain their ability to breathe properly or to find their breath? In, in a few different ways it does. When we start with Tai Chi, we tell students to just remember to breathe. While you're learning, breathe. While your mind is trying to get into that body and find the coordinations, Breathe while you're trying, when you feel like you might be losing your balance because you're taking a big step. So that's the very first principle in Tai Chi. The very first principle is relax, but breath is a part of that relaxation. Later on, we say coordinate your breath with your movement. So there is a breath pattern that will go along with the movement. 
when I first learned it, it seemed contrary to what I thought I was supposed to be doing, because we think that when you push or when you punch, you should be exhaling, but they actually had me inhaling at that point, which was paradoxical to me at first, but then I learned that when you throw a punch or a push or anything, you're not really exhaling anyway. So, you know, there might be some air that comes out, but if you exhaled, you would have no power and no strength. So, you know, so that exhale isn't really, you know, you might hear people who do karate say ki when they throw a punch, but you know, when they say that they're compressing air at the same time, you can't go ki in a loud voice with while you're exhaling. Otherwise it would be, you know, like Marilyn Monroe, you know, kind of, you know, breathy and you don't have any power inside of that. So once I got that in my brain, I started to work with the expansion and contraction of the form with my breath. For some people that makes them tense, when they start concentrating on breath, they get tense. So my advice to them is just remember to breathe because there is a certain amount of naturalness that will occur eventually with the breath and the movements on its own. For those people who are working with the breath and they say, I can't do that for the whole form, or I said, well, just let it go then. You know, at the point of which the breath is not coordinated with the movements anymore, just let it go because the breath will join you at some point. So the um, idea of, of breathing, you can use it as a tool in meditation, in motion, or in sitting but you can't try to control it too much because it's unhealthy. So, you know, so, you know, sometimes you just have to let it just do what it needs to do. Um, sometimes I have been, I've sat by the ocean and just listened to the waves. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Yes, there is sometimes a point where you go, wait, what happened? I don't hear that wave. You know, like all of a sudden, you, there's the continuity of this wave just washing, you know, the timing is going along and all of a sudden there's nothing. And, you, and it kind of calls your attention. Uh, even the ocean has these mo moments when it is not necessarily doing the breath the way that you think that it's the sound, the way that you think that it's supposed to go. So everything kind of lets go a little bit. Sometimes you just have to let go of that and not force it. But um, I, I can achieve going through my form with the breathing from beginning to end, but I allow space for that not to be there with a thought that pops into my head because that will disrupt it or just that my body needs more breath or something of that sort too. But it's a training, we do train it, yes. I'm taking notes. This was good. So you are in Ann Arbor, Michigan, correct? Yes. How, if people want to learn more from you or to learn more about what you do or to even train with you, how, how can they find you? Or how can well, they train one, with you? Ah, one of the positive things is that we're all acquainted with Zoom now. Yeah. So I have people from different parts of the world actually Zooming in on my classes. So um, I have my regular schedule that I had when uh, before we started using Zoom 
now that we're using Zoom, people realize that, oh, I can study with anybody I want to if they're using Zoom anywhere in this world, they're starting to um, tap in on that resource. So um, they can go to the, my website, peacefuldragonschool.com, and they can look at the schedule and see if it fits in, if there's something that they want to do. I've become a little proficient at the using Zoom. Uh, I know there's still more for me to learn, but um, I have breakout rooms and assistance in those breakout rooms. And I do oh, it from different serious. perspectives, <laughs> you know, so people can see it from different perspectives. I've got a huge, like yourself, I have a huge uh, TV that allows me to see them. And I put it in front of the mirror there so I can see them behind me, you know, sometimes uh, in a bigger image. And I can say, um, well, relax your shoulders, Joanne, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, I can see when they're not, not breathing. So I'm starting to learn how to increase my sense ability through just an image and not necessarily from the person themselves. Um, of course, being in person is the best way, uh, but um, we do what we can do. And so people can connect with me in that way. I do private sessions awesome. that way too. Mm -hmm. Uh, private through Zoom, you mean, or in person? Or yes, both? yes, both in person and through Zoom. Because in person, the 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 space is large enough for us to keep our social distance and wear masks, and I can and they can still get a feeling, a direct transmission of feeling from me doing movement. Um, but uh, I also do it through Zoom. I taught uh, someone the staff form, you know, through Zoom, and they did very well. I, I'm a, impressed at our ability uh, to uh, how resilient we are, you know. So, Master Young, thank you so much for your time. This has been very educational and fun for me. So I really do appreciate you being on the show with me. I really like being able to share, and so I appreciate you asking me. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Master Young. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend.